This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. When you're starting out that leap, like that leap into being naive and starting something fresh and just spreading your wings and hoping you fly, that needs a level of passion behind it. It needs a level of purpose because there are moments when you're first starting where that's literally all you have is that vision and that tenacity to keep moving forward. And without that, you're going to burn out. You're going to let it go. It's not going to finish. Welcome to The Real Reel, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu, and I am coming on this podcast very chipper today, and it's because I started a community little group chat. You know, this would have been a good intro for last episode because last episode I had Kim Johnson on, who is the head of community at Geneva, but it doesn't matter because she inspired me to create this group. So I actually got a DM saying that I should have a Geneva group because they want to connect for people like in Miami. They want to connect with other just like girls and like make friends. And, you know, I feel like the the opportunities that are out there to make friends as an adult are very slim. So having like a group of girls that are like-minded or just group of people, it's not only girls. I just have mainly a female audience, just people in general having a group of people in like a group chat, I feel like is just super wholesome and you get to meet a lot of people and you guys are all very similar. So I feel like it's a great way to connect with one another. So that's the reason why I decided to create a little group chat. So I am creating a Geneva group. And if you guys don't know what that is, then you definitely need to watch or listen to the previous episode. But a Geneva group is pretty much just like a group chat where you can connect with me. You can connect with other people. There's like a group for different locations. So far, Charlotte, New York, and Miami are the locations just because it's very fitting for where I've lived in my life. So I wanted to include those. And I have a lot of followers from those areas. But yeah, you guys can join that. It's been very, very wholesome. And I I really, really love it. So I've been loving it. I've only had it for a few days. I think like two or three days it's been open. I think only two days actually, but it's great and it's so cute and I want to meet you guys from there. So hopefully we can do like a little meetup from there. But if you guys want to join, you can talk about the podcast episodes. You can talk about a lot on there. I think maybe I'll make a group for like podcasts specifically, not for self-promo, but just to like discuss. So let me know, let me know what you want because I mean, I'm making the group for you and for myself. But before we get into today's episode, I did want to share a high and low of the week. So I would say that my high of the week was coming home to Florida. So I'm back in Miami. And I just want to say that this New York trip, I was previously in New York. I was in New York for 10 days. This New York trip opened my eyes so much that I never want to live there again. Not to say that I don't like New York because I do love the city. But for some reason, I just was so happy that I wasn't living there. And usually I have the opposite vibe when I'm in New York. I'm like, oh, I kind of miss it. Like, oh, this is nice. Like I, I want to come back really frequently. And I started saying that in the very beginning, like my first my first day there, I was like, I'm going to come back like every other month. Oh no, I I was very ready to be gone. I think maybe I overstayed my welcome. I was I was there for too long. I did too much, so I was exhausted. But 
the city pretty much chewed me up and spit me out that week. Like I was tired. I was exhausted. I was ready to go home. I was ready to be in my own space. And I don't know, I didn't miss it at all. In fact, it, it kind of like did the opposite effect for me. So I think it was a great trip to go on realizing that I don't want to move back. I made a right decision and I, I, I need to go back in smaller doses and in shorter doses. So I would say my high is honestly coming back home to Florida and calling Florida my home. Like I'm, I feel like a lot of times, especially with New York, I mean, not for everyone because I wasn't like this when I lived there, but I will say not living there now, I have FOMO and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm missing so much. Everyone loves living there. It's so cool to say you live in New York. You know, like when people say they live in New York City, it's like, oh my God, really? Like, that's so cool. And I used to feel that way too. I, I was so proud to say that I used to live in New York. I was like, yeah, like live in New York, live in the West Village, you know, so cool. And on my Instagram and on my YouTube and on my stories, I had like the coolest life because I was like a city girl. And I feel like people glamorize cities a lot and they romanticize cities a lot. And I am a hundred percent one of those people that does that. But then I feel like you make people feel bad when they don't live in a place like that. So like if you do live in just like a normal city, like Charlotte, North Carolina, when I was living there, I wasn't like proud to say I lived there. I wasn't like, oh, that's so cool. Like it was just like, yeah, you know, like I live in North Carolina, like, uh, and I mean, now Miami is obviously a bigger city, but I feel like people think of it as like Vegas. It's like, oh my God, how do you live there? When obviously visiting Miami versus living in Miami are like two totally different things. But I will say that. I used to feel that way. I used to feel FOMO about like saying that that was my home and like posting about it and going to the cool parties and dressing like that New York City it girl that I feel like we all have a vision of in our heads. And going back there, I realized that I am just really happy to not be there anymore. Love it as a visiting spot. And I'm so happy I tried it out. But it doesn't have to be for everyone. Like not everyone is meant to do the city life. I realize that I so appreciate the slower pace. I appreciate really great weather. I appreciate having like a better quality of life and like going to the grocery store and having a car to put your stuff in. And like, I appreciate nature. I know Florida is not the most full of nature. I mean, it's like the flattest state, but having the beach right here is everything to me. Like I I'm obsessed with the beach and I like need to be near a beach and a body of water. I know Manhattan's an island and you are near water, but you know, like you can't ever get in it. So I just, I, I love being where I am and I just grew so much gratitude for living here. And I kind of want to say that because I feel like a lot of listeners feel that same way with where they live. They, they want to be somewhere else. They're not content. They're not grateful because it's not quote unquote the coolest place. Like it doesn't have to be the coolest place for you to really like it. And the coolest places are not for everyone. And a lot of times people are posting about their like great life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're enjoying it as much as they say that they are. So I just kind of want to call that out. Maybe I'll talk about that in my Geneva chat because I want to know your thoughts on it. And I want to know your thoughts, even from people that live in these big cities, like people that live in New York, like what are your thoughts on what I'm saying? And I hope it doesn't come across as like insulting, but I just want to know, you know? Yeah, that's kind of like, that was my high was realizing that and coming home. And my low was my airport fiasco. If you guys follow me on Instagram, it was like my most viewed story day because I think people were very captivated by my airport story and my airport shenanigans because I literally show up to the airport the last possible minute and I still have never missed a flight. 
last week was close. It was a close call, but I posted a TikTok on it and I also posted it on my stories. So definitely go to TikTok and click on airport story time to hear about it. But it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. I showed up late, thought I wasn't going to make my flight, was on standby for another flight and somehow still made my original flight. But what was included in that was me ugly crying, bawling like a baby, like Kim Kardashian losing her diamond earring type of cry at the airport. Like the man in front of me, I was literally bawling my eyes out. The man in front of me in line was like, where are you headed to? And it was one of those where like, I couldn't even answer him because I was crying so much. I was like, (laughs) Miami. Like that's literally what I sounded like. And the reason why I was crying a lot was not just because, oh, you missed your flight. Like, no, I was so ready to be home. Like I said, I was very ready to leave New York. And I had found out that I missed my flight, was not able to get on another flight that day. And I just lost it. Like I I had so many emotions that week and I was just so ready to be gone. And I had a lot of anxiety from that trip and I was very overwhelmed that trip. And there was just a lot mentally going on that I didn't show on social media. So like that was just the icing on the cake of me having a mental breakdown um, and, and being super dramatic. Like you might think, oh my God, that's so dramatic for just missing a flight. And I agree it was, but it wasn't, that wasn't the reason why I was crying so much that just like triggered it, I think. So yeah, if you want to hear the whole story, definitely watch my TikTok on that. But anyways, let's get to the guest. I could talk, I, I need to do a solo episode where we just catch up because I could talk to you guys for a very long time. But anyways, today's guest is someone that I am so similar with and someone that I am obsessed with. And I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode, but I had on Whitney Eckes. She is a serial entrepreneur and a marketing guru whose mission is to inspire and empower entrepreneurs through entrepreneurship. She's the founder behind Eckes Marketing, and she's also the host of the Under the Influence podcast. She's also launched Get Super, which is an instant wellness beverage company aimed to help promote consumers' health and overall well-being. She also comes from a line of entrepreneurs. Her dad was an entrepreneur. She has a family business that is over 70 years old, and we talk about how that inspired her. But her dad raised her he would bring her to work. So she got a feel of what it was like to run a business from a very young age, which I think if you are an entrepreneur and you have kids, I think that's one of the best gifts that you can give them is showing them what you do and the behind the scenes of what you do. She jumped around careers quite a bit and she went to Thailand in hopes of a spiritual awakening. So think of like an eat, pray, love moment, but that did not happen. There was no spiritual awakening and she just came home hoping to help with the family business. But her dad said, no, she's got to do her own thing first, which I think is also another great amazing gift and we talk all about that and what that taught her so we talk all about like her mindset shift from scarcity to abundance how she decided to figure out what she was going to do on her own and what that looked like where she saw the most growth in her business and how she got like very clear on her vision and what was holding her back and it's just such an amazing episode that you guys are probably going to want to listen to more than once so make sure that you download it on your phone in today's episode we talk about how to leap into entrepreneurship and the importance of passion when creating a business tips to show up with confidence to meetings and ways to give off positive energy virtually because we live in a zoom world unfortunately actually no i just shouldn't say unfortunately it's a great thing imagine what life would be like without zoom anyways this podcast wouldn't have happened if it wasn't i hope you enjoy this episode so let's just let's just get into it You know what the best feeling is? When you walk out the door feeling like you can conquer the world because your hair looks amazing. You know those days when your hair shines with confidence? Well, I have something that are going to make those good hair days into a daily reality, which is Way's new hair gloss. 
I personally have been loving taking care of my hair. I just got a new haircut and at first I was iffy on it, but then the more I've looked at it and the more I've styled it, I actually really love it and I don't think I can go back to super long hair. It's all about how you style it. So I have been meticulous about my hair routine. I've been incorporating Waze hair gloss and it has literally made me love my haircut and love all of the different ways that I can make it look. It's so easy. Just five minutes in the shower and bam, instant shine. And let me tell you, preventing heat damage is a top priority for me. And with hair gloss protecting my hair up to 450 degrees, I can style worry-free. And the best part, my hair Hair feels shinier, healthier, and more vibrant than before. If you guys have seen my blowouts on my Instagram or my TikTok, you know that I have been feeling my hair and it has been so shiny. Getting your shine on in the shower with Waze hair gloss is so easy and it's packed with hyaluronic acid and rice water. And so it, so it not only gives you immediate shine, but also treats damage and enhances color vibrancy. And here's the best part. In a consumer perception study, over 85% of participants agreed that their hair looks shinier, healthier, and smoother with Waze hair gloss loss give your hair a glow up with way go to t-h-e-o-u-a-i and use promo code real real for 15 percent off any product that's t-h-e-o-u-a-i.com promo code real real hello whitney thanks for coming on my podcast i'm so excited to be here and to chat with you love I'm so excited. We had such a good conversation on yours and I'm just happy that we got connected, had these conversations and now coming on to my pod. So very happy to be having you here. But first, we're going to start with setting the record straight. So that's some stereotypes, assumptions, and then you'll let me know your thoughts on them. Yeah, of course. So first one is that anyone can be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm going to say no. I don't believe that everyone can be an entrepreneur. That's not necessarily that anyone can or cannot be. It's that I believe that entrepreneurs basically are more of a mindset. I believe that anyone can be a creator. I think that we're all capable of creating and to be able to start things. However, being an entrepreneur is something where we go and we create something and we not only create it, but we start it. We self-create it and we see it through. You know, there's a lot of tenacity and grit that comes with being an entrepreneur, whether that's launching a startup or self-funding or going and raising capital. There's a lot of these things that put us through this really unique journey and require a certain type of mindset and grit that I think that not a lot of people opt into. So I think that, again, everyone can create, everyone has value, but I truly believe that entrepreneurs kind of have this unique personality trait or this unique trait, like kind of within them that comes through. I totally agree because I've asked the question before, like, do you think every single influencer or every single creator is an entrepreneur? And at first I was like, yeah, I think so. Like if you're making money, then yeah, you're an entrepreneur. But now I actually don't think so. I think you can be a creator, like you said, but entrepreneurship to me is like starting something from scratch and like making it into a business and scaling it to something like it doesn't have to be huge, like it doesn't have to be startup level or anything. Like you can be an entrepreneur and own a store and be the only one working there, you know. But I think it's just something different between like starting something from scratch, not knowing how to do anything, growing it to something else, and then making it into something that's a little bit more self-sustaining and into like an actual business. And so even though I do think that influencers and creators can be very business savvy and some of them are entrepreneurs, I don't necessarily think that automatically when you start making money on social media, like automatically places you in this like entrepreneurial title. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there are people too, like that being said, like 
not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone mm-hmm. wants to basically be in that lane. There are people that are some of the best integrators and networkers and people that take what entrepreneurs start and actually are the ones moving the needle and the ones turning the wheels. I think entrepreneurs get a lot of glorification of, yeah, you started something. It's so badass. So there's a lot of like glory or like this kind of appeal to it from an outsider looking in. But in the reality of it, it is such a roller coaster and requires so much out of you, both personally and professionally, that I think that we don't talk about the people within the business enough. I don't think we talk about the people that are the ones that are crushing it. They're the ones that are meeting the goals. They're the ones that are going out there and getting new business for the basically the baby that the entrepreneur created. 100%. And I definitely agree that like it is glorified, but that's not the goal for everyone. I think for me, I'm like, oh my God, I love doing this. It's great. A lot of people don't want to do it. And that's like 100% fine. And honestly, probably you're going to live like a <laughs> like a less stressful life. So like... <laughs> props to you for not wanting to do it because I think that it's actually like not for everyone and it shouldn't be glorified the way it is because it sometimes makes people feel bad about themselves if like they don't want to do something like that where it's like literally there are millions of successful amazing people that don't start their own thing and are like so incredibly inspiring and I think that that's something that should be glorified too. Yeah I couldn't agree more with you Natalie. I think honestly I call it like the girl boss era We've seen this like insane conception and like rise of just the side hustle. And like you said, the glorification of becoming an entrepreneur, starting your own thing and whatnot. And obviously I feel like that's come with the rise of the times with things, you know, cost of living going up and other things like that, where it's hard just to have one job in order for you to live a certain lifestyle. But I also think that with Girl Boss, with things like Create and Cultivate and like all these things that have gone and created this huge trend of like entrepreneurship being like highlighted. I think that we also lose a bit of like, if everyone's starting to become an entrepreneur, then what are these jobs? You know, who's going to be taking on these jobs? Who's going to be doing these incredible, like monumental parts of the job that need to get done? And, you know, who's going to be the team that I want to bring to the table when it comes to accomplishing these goals? And so I think we lose out on that topic of conversation of being like these people that are career driven, you know, don't necessarily need to be an entrepreneur to be successful and to live a life of their dreams. And I feel like we do a thousand percent lose that in translation. No, totally. And that kind of brings me to my next point, which is you need a team around you to begin a business. So what do you think about that? I have two and neither of them would be thriving without my team. I think that one of the biggest things as an entrepreneur that I've learned is I've learned my strengths and I've learned my weaknesses, whether that's been through learning lessons or experiences or things of that nature. And one of the things that I more specifically have learned is that my businesses are thriving and doing well when I have people surrounding me and within the company that are able to tap into what my weaknesses are and able to fill those gaps. And I think that's one thing too that we don't talk about enough, especially when people are starting out with their startup or their new business or things like that, is that as entrepreneurs, we're told we have to do it all, especially in the beginning. You don't take a paycheck. You don't hire a team. You know, the bookkeeper, the creative person, the social media person, the marketing guy, the sales guy, whatever. You're everything. 
But I think that honestly, looking at the trajectory of your business and what you want to create, learning where are your weak spots and where are the spots that you can fill someone in that's going to not only help you, but that are also going to basically come in and help you scale and scale from from this whole other level. So for example, like I really realized early on things like creating and organizing systems for my team was not my strong suit. I was great at inspiring my team. I was great at delegating tasks and I was great at really the execution and making sure my team knew what to do. Now on an ongoing basis, to help and scale and systemize that, I wasn't great at it. We had literally never really had a true project manager until the beginning of this year. That came with me literally hiring someone to come in and step into the operation standpoint of my agency and be like, how do we systemize this? How do we make this more organizable and more understandable so that everyone knows their tasks month over month, week over week, day over day? And so I think when we take the personal out of that and we bring it back to everyone has their strengths, everyone has their weaknesses, what are yours so that we can build this company to be the best thing you can be, that's where you see your team shine. And that's how you also know too how to hire people. Yeah. And I am with you with having a system in place where everyone knows their day to day and month to month. We definitely always are trying to like get better at that as a team, but it's something that I struggle with naturally. I'll have like one day where I have a burst of energy to like organize everything and be like, we're going to be like super organized. Let me go through our like project management tool and redo it and add tags and like make it so organized. And then throughout the rest of the week, I'm a scrambled mess and I'm messaging everyone through Slack when there's tasks for that on the ClickUp, like you should need to go on there. You know, it's just like so disorganized. I'm texting people instead of using Slack. So we try to make Slack as like the designated place where we're talking about work. And so it's one of those things where I need to constantly remind myself to be better and to be able to be organized because when I was doing everything on my own, I could do everything the way I wanted to. No one else was affected. No one else was impacted. Now I have a team it's impacting everyone. So it's like, we all have to kind of do our part. But that's definitely one of my weaknesses that I'm like very well aware of. And I'm always trying to be better at this. Absolutely. But I think you touched on something there where it's like, now my actions don't only impact myself, they impact everyone. I feel like I noticed that too, especially again, bringing in this new hire to help really build up these operations and standpoints. I started realizing that the majority of the bottlenecks within my agency were caused from me. It was from me either overextending myself or me not being able to give the team what they needed in an efficient way. And I think that that's also something too that we don't realize is like, yeah, we're doing it all. And yeah, we're getting like praise for doing it all. But like, we also too can kind of tend to get in our own way if we're doing too much. And I think that, again, when we talk about building a team around you, that's one of the biggest things is that recognize, again, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and also recognize too, where does your job need to be? Like, what is your job description as the entrepreneur, as the leader of the company? Because there are things that, sure, you can jump into client accounts and do it. You know how to do it. But are you going to do it well? And is it going to be serving your team and the agency or the business overall if you're doing that thing? Most of the time, it doesn't. Most of the time, it pulls you out of where you need to be, which is the leader or the sales driver or the person that's setting the goals and hiring the people so that you can continue to grow and scale this business and you getting in the weeds because you're doing too much is what's preventing that scalable growth. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that, especially in the beginning, I've gotten better at it. But in the beginning, it was so hard for me to let go of things. And it was so hard for me to be like, okay, you do this. I'll do this. I'm not going to be the one that's in charge. I was always like, well, I can do it. Like, I know how to do it. It's fine. Or I've been doing it for like forever. Like, I'll just take over. And then I realized how much time I was wasting and how nothing actually like moved the business forward because I was in doing like the little day to day tasks when that should not be my job because. That's why I also, one, hired people, but also like at some point you have to let go of some things and like realize that your job is to hire and make good decisions so that those tasks can be executed even better than you or like just as good as you or in a way that's going to be fine for the business. And so that was definitely something that I've gotten better at over like the past few months. But in the beginning, it was so hard, especially going from like working completely by yourself to having a team around you. Yeah. And then the next one is that work-life balance is non-existent. No, 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 no. Uh, okay, so let's let's talk <laughs> about this. If you are smart, you will incorporate work-life balance into your day-to-day, especially as an entrepreneur. However, your business is intrinsically you. So I don't believe in not having boundaries, but I also believe that there are going to be seasons where you're going to not be able to honor work-life balance or there's things that are going to happen that you need to be flexible on. So for example, I had this marketing agency and then I went and launched our hemp infused instant coffee, which is get super. And during the launch of this product, I told myself that I was going to let go of the shame that I had for overworking myself because of what I was doing was so important for this launch. And because I really wanted to do it. And it was something that really aligned with me and within my mission that I was going to do. But I couldn't just walk away from the agency at that time. So I told myself, like, we're going to get through this. This is really a season of you putting your head down and focusing in on what you need to get done. And it's going to be tiring. And you're probably not going to be able to get off work at 3 or 4 p.m. and make dinner for you and your cute boyfriend and have a great night's sleep but you're going to create something that is really impactful and powerful. And if this is what you want to do, if this is what you're passionate about, and this is your true mission, you're going to do it because this phase of building is not going to last forever. So there's something to be said about one, making sure what you can and cannot handle from a work-life balance standpoint, right? Evaluate your nervous system, evaluate your mental health. Where are your boundaries of okay, this is what I need every single day to be my most productive and successful self. And if you are going through a season where you're starting to push those boundaries, where is the breaking point? Where's the stopping point? And for me, this was something where I sat myself down and I was like, I feel this and this is really encroaching on my morning ritual practices, my nighttime practices, my communication. I'm taking more meetings in a day than I'm used to, but I'm going to do this because this is, again, what's important and I know I can do this. And so I'm going to set this season and set a certain timeline for how hard I'm going to work during this season. Then I'm going to get back into my routine. I think that's the way that it is within our businesses. I think that, again, like there's a lot of people that say there are no work-life balances and it's like, awesome, that's according to you. But you can set yourself up with boundaries to create the life that you want and then also know that, you know, if shit hits the fan or something goes wrong or you come up on a new project, you're giving yourself enough grace to know that there is going to be a lot more hard work and those boundaries aren't probably going to look the same. So Mm -hmm. that's my long-winded answer. (laughs) I 
could not agree more. I feel like I'm saying that after everything, but I always tell people that whenever people are like, oh my God, how do you have a social life or how long are you working? Or like, what are your hours look like? And I'm like, listen, I think we've always like swing the pendulum to extremes. Like one, it's a girl boss era where you better work every single day, grind, 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 like no breaks. You know, it's like that mentality. And then there's the other where it's like self-care is everything you need to turn off your phone at 4 p.m. and close your laptop and, you know, have baths every night and drink wine with your friends, you know, all of this stuff, which is great. But I also think that that is not realistic for everyone every single day and in every single season where then we might feel guilty where at one end we're feeling guilty because we're not working hard enough. And we're like, oh my God, I should be working like it's 7 p.m. and I'm watching TV. Like, what am I doing? And then in the other end, it's like, oh, well, I haven't done any of my self-care rituals. I haven't journaled. I haven't meditated. I haven't worked out. Like, oh my God, I feel guilty for that too. Whereas I'm kind of view it like you said, where, okay, right now, the next few months, I'm probably not gonna meditate or I'm probably not gonna be like the most social person and go out on the weekends as much or like have as much time at night to like chill and watch TV and read books. But on the other end, I know that that's not lasting forever. I know it's right now and I know it's temporary. And I know the reason why I'm doing this is so that I can set myself up so that I can have actually way more time to do that in the future. And so that's kind of the way that I always think about it, whereas there's seasons where you're going to work really, really hard. And then there's seasons where you can take a break and relax and it's going to be worth it and it's going to be okay. So I really love what you said about that. And now I want to kind of go back to your roots and your beginning, because I would consider yourself a serial entrepreneur. You started multiple businesses. You have two businesses right now. When did you get your first like taste of entrepreneurship? Yeah, growing up, I come from a pretty long line of entrepreneurs, started with my great grandfather. And then we have a family business that's it's past 75 years old. I feel like I've been saying that for like the last two years, but it's a pretty old generational business. and. I got my first taste of entrepreneurship just being with my dad. My dad was basically raising me as a single parent and he would do all the single parent things. But, you know, instead of me kind of becoming like a latchkid key, he'd just bring me right into the stores and and to work with him. So every after school, we go to the stores and we'd go hang out. He'd finish up his work and then we'd leave. But I really kind of got that taste. And I also too would look at my dad's life and the way that my dad had really created a life for me and him based off of what he did for work. And so really early on, I would say like as young as I remember, I've seen my dad work for himself. And so it was kind of intrinsically inside of me. Mm -hmm. And were you someone that like growing up, you knew exactly what you wanted to do or you were just like one day I'll start something? No, I had no idea. (laughs) So I'll just walk you through this train wreck of trying to figure out what I want to do. I went to my freshman year of college. I tried to become a marine biologist and declared a marine biology degree, I think, or a biology degree. I can't remember. Couldn't do it. I was like, this is so not for me. Then I went into communications and I double majored in business admin and marketing and PR communications. And I started working with Red Bull at the time. And I really loved the fast paced environment, the work culture of Red Bull. It was always a party and there was always so much energy. And it was very right on the cusp of social media because Facebook had really taken off. And then Instagram was also starting to kind of blossom. 
So we had really integrated a lot of social media into our campaigns in via Red Bull. Then I went from there and I was an event coordinator at Aviator Nation back when Aviator had its first like three stores. And then from that point, I graduated. I took a year off. I was the hostess at a craft cocktail bar. I went and traveled through Thailand because I thought maybe I needed like a spiritual awakening. And like I went and worked with elephants and did all this fun stuff. And then I came back and I was literally like depressed because I hadn't had a spiritual awakening. I went and talked to my dad and was like, okay, I'm ready to take over the family business. Like this must be my next step. My dad, I'll never forget this. We're literally, I can still picture it. We were sitting at this really cute cafe in Alpine called Janet's Cafe. And it was actually one of my first jobs that I used to work when I was 16. And I point blank told him that and he basically told me, you know, like, I love you. And like, this will always be something that you can have in the future. He's like, but I would never let you come into the family business, not knowing what it's like to have your own business. And it wouldn't be fair for you to come and try to step into this next level without you having any experience. And so took that really kind of hard. I went back to my hostessing job and I kept bugging them about taking Instagram photos of their cocktails and why they weren't on social media. And then I basically landed a marketing and coordinator job and I did it for about a year for the hospitality group and I hated it. I was like, I hate corporate America. Didn't like working with Hilton and Marriott. I thought everything was super rigid. I had convinced all of them to go on Instagram and start using influencers, which was a huge win for me back in, I don't even know what year that was. And then I started doing my own thing and it started as me freelancing social media and turned into Ekis Marketing. And in fact, Ekis Marketing is not a name I chose. It was the best way for me to invoice my clients so they knew who I <laughs> who was invoicing them, especially from like Marriott and Hilton standpoint. They like wanted me to make sure that I had like my last name on things and it was just easier. And that's what it was. But all that to say is no. I'm super entrepreneurial. I feel like I have my head in the clouds 24-7 with business ideas and dreams and ambition. But I couldn't tell you back then what I wanted to do. And it wasn't this big, awesome journey for me. It was like I took on a bunch of different jobs that I thought were cool that eventually led me to doing what I'm doing today. And I love doing what I'm doing today. There's some moments in time where we have this major epiphany And it falls right into our lap. And that's incredible. But sometimes too, there are moments where we don't get that. And it's really, you know, looking at our lives and saying, what's going to make me happy and fill up my cup every day. And I think for Ekis Marketing, I was just so enthralled with being able to create and being able to have something that was mine and being able to support myself, that that's where that really took lift off. And forget super, I mean, that's a completely different story. And that was kind of my epiphany moment of a business because it did kind of fall right in my lap. But I would have to say that, again, looking back at where I started, there wasn't one specific like, this is what I'm doing. I'm in love with this. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I know that you said that you hated corporate. It was very rigid. When did you take the leap then to like do it on your own? Like when were you like, okay, I'm done with these corporate clients and I'm going to start my own marketing firm. I know you were 22 when you first started Ekis Marketing, but 
did when you took that leap was it scary were you nervous were you excited like what was that feeling like when you decided to do something on your own yeah so I left and the hospitality group that I left actually asked if I can continue doing work for them so they were my first like five clients and then my gracious father was like you can do the family business like let me help you out and I was like this is sucks, but sure. And then from there, I just hustled. I started asking everyone and started pitching people and doing cold pitching and having people recommend me and the rest is history. But of course the leap was scary. And there's still moments where I, you know, invest in other companies or things like that, where it's still a moment of a little bit of nervousness of, you know, what are you going to do? You're embarking on this new adventure. If anything, I would say, the one thing that I look back on when I made the leap was make sure that this is something that when you look at it, it is something that you want to be doing. I feel like I see a lot of people questioning whether or not they want to take the leap because maybe they're not sure about the money or they're not sure about whether they can produce, you know, whether it's a service or a product. And I think when you're starting out that leap, like that leap into being naive and starting something fresh and just spreading your wings and hoping you fly, that needs a level of passion behind it. It needs a level of purpose because there are moments when you're first starting where that's literally all you have is that vision and that tenacity to keep moving forward. And without that, you're going to burn out. You're going to let it go. It's not going to finish. And I think a lot of times we see that early on with a lot of startups is there can be so much passion. There can be all these things that are happening But if they don't have that one thing that's bringing them back to keep going and to never giving up and to keep, you know, finding whatever fix that they need to find, whether it's funding or anything of that nature, building a team, anything like that, it comes back to the intention and the passion behind it. So many times going back to what we mentioned earlier, entrepreneurship is glamorized. And so people want to start businesses for the sake of starting a business where it's like, yes, you can start a business if you have an idea, even if you're not like one with the issue or if you're not the one that really relates to that business. But I always think like you have to have some passion behind it. You have to like fully believe in it. You have to understand your customer and your consumer. You can't just start something because like, oh, I want to start this because I want to make money one day. And I think that this is going to make me money. And like, yeah, maybe some people it works for them. But when it gets hard and when you're not making money and when you're burning out and when you have a million things that you need to do and you have a million fires that you need to burn out, I don't know if the reason of, well, I just wanted to start a business is going to be sustainable and like let you continue to do it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that, again, kind of going back to this kind of like theme, it's really interesting because I love when I hear about some of my favorite entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs that created a product with zero intention of it blowing up. And I think that there's something to be said about the entrepreneurs that create something to serve a need, whether it's their own personal need or like they wanted to help someone that takes flight because, you know, there's a lot of energy and mentality that goes into business too. the way that we approach people, the way that we sell people, the way that we treat our team and just the company culture in general. And people can feel that. Let's just say that people can feel when it is something that is intended to be bigger or something that is intended to help or there's a passion or there's a draw behind it versus something that is a 
plug and play to make money. There's so much money in this world. And I don't understand why we haven't as human beings realized this, that we could tap into so much money at any time. But for whatever reason, we find ourselves in this scarcity mindset, especially in business, where it feels like we can never make enough, or we have to make this amount. And then it becomes this like clenched rush to try to make something out of nothing. And quite honestly, that's when we start to see these things fall apart, especially in startups, when there's so much pressure that it almost feels hopeless to the point of even desiring to work within this entity. And, you know, again, I've totally been there. I've totally pushed my agency to the brink. I bootstrapped it. And there have been moments where, you know, I had family members like sit me down and be like, I don't know if you're an entrepreneur. Like, I don't know if this is in your blood. Like this all seems really hard. This all seems really chaotic. And, you know, maybe an agency isn't for you. Maybe you should go accept a job somewhere else and go make a ton of money. And those conversations, you know, I could have easily listened and done those things. And I chose not to. And I chose not to, honestly, because of the selfishness that I wanted something of my own. And Mm -hmm. I know that is probably not the best reason to start a company, but I wanted to be able to provide for myself. I wanted to create something that was mine. And then from there, I also wanted to be able to work with the people that I really enjoyed. And for me, it was for brands. It was for other entrepreneurs. It was working with a team of girls that got excited about creative campaigns and things of that nature. So for me, that was what it was. And that's what kept me going. Because even when there were times like in 2020, when we lost 75% of our business, I got on Zoom every day. And I had one employee and a couple interns and we didn't stop. And there was no money. I had quit taking a paycheck. We had let go of our office, basically had zero clients, but we kept going and we kept doing sales. And we took that time and we invested in things like Pinterest and education and training and whatever else I could do to keep going because I wasn't going to give up. And again, that for me, that was my thing. That was something that I wasn't going to let go of and that I was going to see through. And we are now sitting in 2022 and the agency has grown 100% from 2020 into 2021. And we're looking at an uptick of growing 25% business like month over month. So it happened and it worked and it worked because I think I had an amazing team and I had really set up the infrastructure, but I also didn't give up because it was what was most important to me. And that was my intention. Yeah. And that's another thing when we're talking about kind of the characteristics of someone who is an entrepreneur, it's pivoting also. Like when you could give up, that's the time when it's like, no, no, no. How am I going to pivot to make this work? Like what sacrifices am I going to make? What are we going to change? You can't be so like gridlocked to one idea where it's like, nope, that's it. And if that doesn't work, it's over. Like you have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to change course. You have to be able to be like, okay, we're scratching what we just said we were going to do a month ago. And we're going to do something totally different because this is what's going to work. And I feel like a lot of times people are scared to do that. They're scared to make a change. They're scared to make sacrifices because it is scary because it might not work. You might do all of this work and then it might not work. But I think that you not giving up shows like how much you believe in it and the fact that it does work. Like I always tell people a lot of times it's time. Like you just have to be consistent. You have to consistently be putting effort in, consistently putting time in, consistently working hard at it. 
And like, it will happen. There's so many things in life that we think like, okay, overnight, like this is going to be a success or overnight, we're going to get a ton of money or get a ton of clients. Really, it's more like an up and down like roller coaster where some months are great and then other months are worse than the month before and worse than the month before. And you have to keep going because eventually you'll make it to the top. You just cannot give up. And like during those moments, like you said, when you lost all of your clients, how long did it take you then to get to where you are today or to get to a point where you finally started seeing growth and you finally started seeing, you know, progress being made? Because I'm sure for a while it was probably really scary. Yeah, it was super scary. You know, I had to actually do a lot of mindset shifts. You know, your audience, they're super into kind of like the woo-woo or like at least like working with yourself in order to become more successful. But I truly believe that there's a mindset mentality and there's an energy that we bring forth when we go to grow our business. For me, I really had to shift out of scarcity. I was terrified to spend money. I was terrified to invest. I was terrified to let go of absolutely toxic clients. I was terrified to let go of low paying clients and all of those things were no longer serving me. And it was also to this kind of moment where I chose to say, okay, this scarcity mindset is bringing in this amount of revenue. This is what it's doing for the agency. If I continue to do this, I'm going to continue to be in the same place and that's okay. Maybe I'm comfortable there, but this mindset is asking me to get super uncomfortable to spend a lot of money to invest in people and my team, to invest in education, to let go of those clients that are no longer serving us, whether it's, you know, they're scope creeping, you know, they're too much and too high maintenance where it's causing more hours for my team. They're a headache. We're not able to do anything else except for focus on them. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but they were also one of the things too. And I literally started letting go of all of it. I started letting go of these clients. I started letting go of team members that didn't align. I took my savings and invested savings back into the company. And I told myself, I'm going to, you know, hire these people. I'm going to make these moves. I'm going to really get clear that this is the vision. And in order for me to get to that next level of revenue or to get to that next expansive point, I have to set myself up for all these things to happen. And honestly, the other thing too, is like, I also started charging more. I also started limiting down our scope of services and clients were happier. We were happier. They had such a better experience between me and my team. And this scarcity mindset that we have in business, when things get hard, it projects, right? It projects on to how we treat our clients. Your client does not want to be paying you a top-notch dollar or any money to have a negative experience because you're so stressed out about your own financials. Like no one wants to deal with that. And that was something too that I started realizing was like these things that are causing all this unnecessary stress is what's keeping this company down. Instead of me just getting clear about where I need to be and again, taking that leap or taking that risk or you know investing in something that might not have an immediate return And knowing that it's going to lead me to where I want to go. And again, like we're just open to office space and there's talks of a recession and it scares the shit out of me. But like, here's the other thing too, is like my team needs this office. I need this office. We've been working from home for the last two years. We've been fully remote for the last two years. I can't tell you how much I never want to look at another Zoom screen again. 
And this office, maybe, sure, financially, would everyone tell me I shouldn't be doing this? Absolutely. Do I want this? And do I know that it's going to make my team happy? It's going to make my clients and serve my clients for the better. And it's ultimately going to get Echoes to the next chapter 1000%. And those are things too that as entrepreneurs, I think that we have to get so clear about our gut and our vision. And at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, you have you and you rely on you. So if you're driving that ship and you have this gut feeling and you're not able to sit in your right mindset, whether it's scarcity or abundance, you're not going to go anywhere. And I'm sorry, I'm going on my rant here. No, but this, I love this. <laughs> but this is, it is something that having to do within ourselves and how we are within ourselves. And that's when I start seeing the most growth within the agency is when I really got clear about what I wanted this to look like. And I worked through whatever scarcity I had and whatever things were really holding me back. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I totally agree that it is a mindset shift and it's something that the money is out there. I think when you have that scarcity mindset, it's like, oh my God, there's just no clients for me. Like, nope, there's no clients, there's no money. And that's so not true. And that's kind of as we go into fundraising, what I've kind of adopted is this mentality of one, consistency, hard work, time is going to pay off. And two, there is so much money out there. And I 100% believe in what we're building. I know it's going to be successful. And all I need is one person to see that. And that's it. And that person is out there. There's probably multiple people out there, you know? So it's one of those things where I'm not worried. I'm not that stressed about it. I'm really like allowing myself to be like, no, this is going to happen. I'm doing all the right steps. And the money's out there. There's not like, oh no, it ran out. Like it's, <laughs> it's I had, there. I had coffee with a really good girlfriend this morning and I was chatting with her about a couple other things. And I mean, I was going to her basically like, here's my plan. And she kind of shifted and reflected some stuff back to me. And it was awesome. It was kind of like a breakthrough. But one of the things that she said was, it's not about, do they need you? It's about, they do need you and you need to accept that they need you. And they want what you got. And that shift in your attitude, again, we talk about energy, we talk about walking in and like high vibration, like people want to work with people where they're like, I want whatever they got. Like, I want whatever energy that's coming in this room and making me feel good and excited. I want exactly that. And that's something too, that we should talk about within business is that we have so much to offer. Everyone has this insane intrinsic value and we all have our own separate sets of skills and talents and things like that. So the more we embrace that and the more we walk into our room with our business and being like, I know you want what I got. Like, I know what I have is so cool and awesome that you're going to be so stoked the moment I even start to open my mouth. That Mm -hmm. is that energy. That is that sales energy that no one talks about that basically helps you to expand And yeah, of course, thinking that, right? Like if you shift this whole perspective of like, I really need them. I really need this client. We really need to sign a client to, I know that if I bring this to five people, they are going to be so excited. And even if they cannot sign right now, or even if they don't buy right now, I know that what I'm about to share is so awesome that it's going to bring them value in a whole nother way. That's the energy we want to come and sell with. Yeah. And you don't want to give off desperation. You don't want it to be like, please sign with me. Like, please give me money. It would just mean so much to me because then who wants to do that? It's like they also are looking out for their best interests. They're not a charity. Oh, yeah. I feel bad for you. Here you go. 
And so kind of what I've been thinking, even like while we enter fundraising mode, I can tell when I'm not confident going into an interview or into a meeting. And I can tell when I'm like, that was horrible. I'm not going to get a call back. Like, why did I act so low energy? And so I've started taking these calls and taking these meetings with the mindset of it's your loss if you don't invest. Like I am literally giving you this opportunity because I used to feel bad. I always would feel bad asking for money just regardless. Like I don't like asking for money. So this is very new to me. And so now I'm viewing it. I'm not asking for money in the way of like, please give me money. Like we really need it. It's more so like you're literally missing out on such an amazing opportunity if you don't invest. So like I'm presenting this offer to you because I think that you would be like strategic and like a good person to, you know, invest in us. But like, if not, you're going to regret it. You're giving them a golden nugget into a whole nother lifestyle or, or money or dream. Like, the investment world too. I mean, that's what I say to my clients. I'm like, that's totally fine. If you think our rates are too high, if you don't think we're worth it, no problem at all. But I can guarantee you this, our work will make you money. Our (laughs) return, my team, what we have to offer you will make you money. Maybe it's not an immediate return, but my God will create some sort of awareness or do some sort of management or service for you that you clearly are unable to offer yourself or your team is, and that's going to pay off in the long run. So thousand percent, I know you're talking about your raise and everything, which is so exciting. I'm so excited for you, but I totally feel that too. It's a little uncomfortable until you realize like, wait a minute, I'm going to be paying you out at the end of all this. And you are going to be just fine and happy then. Exactly. And I think for a long time, I wasn't giving off that energy. I was giving off like desperate energy and even though I was confident, I felt nervous going into meetings, you know, and I felt nervous being like, oh no, like, what are they going to think? And now it's not like I've really shifted it and I felt a difference. And I can feel a difference when I go in feeling a little nervous or being like, oh, that wasn't my best versus when I'm confident and I'm like, oh my God, amazing. Like we're going to have a follow-up conversation like a hundred percent. And so I think that that's the difference. But one thing I know you were mentioning Zoom and how you have an office now, how do you give off that energy through Zoom versus in person? Like, do you have any practical tips? Because that's been harder for me. Like I'm going to New York tomorrow and I'm meeting up with a ton of people in person and I'm so excited because I just feel like in person, it's so different and it's so much better. So what are your kind of tips with how to give off that like energy when you're like virtual? Yeah, virtually, I mean, number one, show up and be excited. I think on Zoom, like the biggest thing is having this really conversational energy. Like, don't be afraid to ask someone how they're doing. Don't be afraid to have a conversation. I think to humanizing any topic of conversation is super necessary. Again, I have like a corporate background and like a lot of our clients really kind of love the corporate lingo. Like, I'm sure you can understand what that means. Yeah. And taking a moment, whether you're in the middle of a pitch or you're having these like really intense meetings to just humanize whatever you're talking about. Don't be afraid to share your like sense of humor. Don't be afraid to share like what's going on in your life. I think there's things that we long for, especially on Zoom, like we long for human connection, especially coming out of the pandemic. So the more that you're able to humanize a lot of your conversations, people are going to be able to absorb a lot more of what you're saying, especially via Zoom. The other thing too is like, I always tell my team this, kind of show up in your best light. I understand we all work from home and it's honestly sometimes like terrible, but like show up in your favorite outfit. If you like to get your hair blown out or if you want to go get a fresh face of makeup, like show up in a way that's going to make you feel better because 
your body language and everything that we do on Zoom, we're so receptive. And again, we're looking for that connection. So we're going to pick up like whatever we see via the camera. So if you're not feeling good, like anytime I'm stressed or anxious, like I swear my clients know, like I know they can like feel that through the screen as weird as it sounds, but it's the same way. But if I go in and I'm very unattached or I feel good or I know I look good or I spent a little bit like extra time, like doing my self-care that morning and I'm like meditated and like grounded, my clients be like, oh my God, like what's going on into you? Or like, what are you doing? Like, talk to me. And that again is like, that's that humanization of like going past just talking about work and talking about mm-hmm. signing a deal versus building a relationship and building a connection. Mm-hmm. And I also think like, you're not going to have a connection with everyone either. You know, there's some people that you will not have a connection with. And I don't think there's anything you can do that will make that go well. So I've kind of been treating the the times when I feel like, oh, that was a little awkward or like painful or like, oh, like that was not a good call. I've kind of also treated it as, well, we're just like not a good fit. And, you know, like whoever I end up working with in the future or, you know, like whoever becomes an investor for us, they have to be a good fit. So I wouldn't even want someone that I don't connect with to be a part of what we're building. So I, I also view it like that as like a positive that, oh my God, thank God I realized that, you know, like that's great that I realized that it's not for everyone. And I now know what to look for with people that I really do connect with and vibe with. And the difference is like so clear. Same with clients. I'm the same exact mm-hmm. way with clients or with people that I hire. People do business with people that they love. That's mm-hmm. the sad truth. Like whether it's an investor or again, you're selling a product to someone People want to do business and they're going to remember long-term or they're going to connect with you for the long-term if it's an alignment for you and for them. If you love them and if they love you, it will be a match. But if you do not align, you're having hard conversations or things are awkward or you're like, I'm really striving to make this work, but it's just not clicking, not a fit. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I know we're almost like at an hour mark, but I would love to have you on for part two because we didn't even touch on like Get Super and how you started that. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Let's do it. There's a whole other part to your business that we need to touch on. Like I would love to know about how you started that as well. But before we go, I always like to ask people this. What is the best piece of advice that you've received? It could be business advice, life advice anything. And I know we touched on a lot of like little nuggets in this episode, but if you could pick like one thing that has ever like stood out to you. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I actually have it saved like on my phone as like a little wallpaper widget. I did a lot of mental mindset coaching, especially in 2020 after I was diagnosed. And I'll never forget when my coach told me, she said, you get to decide based on what feels good and true to you. And I think that's something that has been the biggest advice for me in my life but also in business. We sometimes forget that we are able to be in control and be the designers of our life. And there's a lot of assumptions. There's a lot of obligation that we feel like we should be doing something. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And the majority of the time, if it doesn't feel like you're talking about a fit, like what we were just talking about, it's not aligned. So you get to decide based on what feels good and what feels true to you, not what other people tell you they think that you should do or not what other people want you to do or what you feel like you should be doing. You get to decide on what feels true. And if you listen to that intuition and to your gut, 
I guarantee it's going to steer you to further success and opportunity versus you trying to force yourself into a mold that is just not going to work for you. I really, really love that. And I think so many people probably needed to hear that because there's so often, so many times where we try to fit into a mold or we try to force things and letting go can be a really, really great thing. And it can be one of the best things that you do, honestly, letting go of things that don't actually serve you. So really, really love that. But Whitney, where can they find you? Where can they find your agency? Get super, like everything. <laughs> yeah, so you guys can follow me just at Whitney Eckes. Follow the agency just at Eckes Marketing. And then our newest baby is Get Super and it's spelled G-E-T-S-U-P-R. You guys can follow all those fun handles and say hi and drop into my DMs. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We definitely will have you on for part two, but yeah, thanks for coming on. All right, Natalie. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday.